0: Morning, guys. Welcome to Salt City Church. Great to see you guys here. Um, I'm excited to bring God's word to you. As Jordan was talking, I was just thinking about what I'm thankful for with Salt City, and I think my heart was just so resonating with him. I, I remember in deciding to come to Minneapolis from Iowa, just hoping that Jesus would do something amazing here. And I think as I began to talk to other people about that. What I meant by that is that lost people would come to know Jesus. And here's been my experience as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and I hope it's also been your experience. As I've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, I haven't been reading about a legend who used to do amazing things. So over and over again, what you see in the Gospel of Mark is you see The people that are supposed to embrace Jesus are rejecting him, and the people that are supposed to reject him are falling down at his feet and being saved over and over and over again. The religious people are like, nah, we don't really want anything to do with him. The super lost, broken people are like, we love this guy so much. And I feel like as we've been walking through this gospel, I've personally been experiencing Jesus as my savior, but one of the most impactful things to me has been seeing other people, broken people. I mean, there's just these stories coming out in our church, and it's nothing short of just miraculous. It's amazing. People are meeting Jesus. They're seeing that this whole thing is not about religion. It's about embracing Jesus, a savior who came not to condemn the world, but in order that we might be saved through him. And as I was studying this text, looking deeply into God's word this week, there's just another story, another encounter. And my hope this morning is that you would have another encounter with the living Jesus. If you've known him for 20 years or you haven't met him yet, that you would see more clearly who he is. And I think that what Jesus wants us to do as we respond to this text, as we see it, is he wants to just gently encourage us to take off our mask. All of us, we have a tendency, maybe maybe you've been wearing the mask for a long time, you're, you're a Christian, but you find yourself just wanting to fake it because of some sin in your life, or or again, you've never come to know Jesus and your whole life has just been kind of a double life. You're partying last night, you're here this morning and you're just tired of that. And Jesus is gonna tell us, there's another way out. There's another way out. And so we're essentially just gonna look at three ways that Jesus will encourage us to take off the mask. He's gonna show us the inadequacy of religion, the depth of depravity and the wonder of grace. So let's just look at those one at a time. First of all, the inadequacy of religion. We're in Mark chapter 7. And to start off, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 13. The verses will be on the screens. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother whatever... You would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So the Pharisees, they're the religious teachers of the way. They're the, they're um, the people that are supposed to embrace Jesus. And when Jesus comes around, they get really Mad at him, and they get really offended by him. And they're specifically mad at him and offended by him in this particular situation. First off, because him and his disciples don't wash their hands. There's this tradition in that day that before meals, and when you visited the marketplace especially, and you interacted with the unclean people, those people, the people who were racially different and religiously different, when you interacted with them, you had to wash your hands, because their basic assumption was that the way that you become clean before God and before others was by cleaning up the outside. But what Jesus uncovers is that their cleaning up of the outside was a way to cover their deep-rooted disobedience to God. They were covering up what was actually true deep inside of them with surface level outside religious traditions and commandments that had been handed down to them over the years. And so Jesus gives them another example of them doing this. They had this tradition essentially where they had kind of a bunch of money piled up, which they had because what they tended to do is they would encourage women right before they died who were widows, to give the church all of their money. So the church in that day actually had quite a bit of money. And so with all that money, they were hoarding it for themselves. And so Pharisees would have relatives, they'd have their parents be in need of money. And they would declare, they, they had this way of basically declaring that this money was Corban. So they say, no, I can't give you that money, it's Corban. So they had this big stash of money. And Corban meant, That's God's money. And Jesus just goes right through that and he's like, it's not God's money. The the Old Testament clearly says, honor your father and mother. And one way you honor your father and mother is when they're in need, you take care of them. And they said, oh no, we're just gonna kind of shove aside the real commandments of God. We're gonna kind of make up our own commandments. Why? Because they're greedy. And Jesus basically sums up The heart attitude of the Pharisees by saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Pharisees' message was the way you get right with God is by cleaning up the outside. Whoever looks the best is the best. I was thinking about this, I thought of a number of different ways to, to illustrate this, but I thought of this old trusty car I had, this old Ford Taurus. Has anyone ever driven a Ford Taurus? I had a 99 Ford Taurus gold with some rust spots on it. And um, I just remember like progressively over time, this car just started to betray me. It's like the windshield wiper stopped working, and then it was using a ton of oil, and the alternator went out, and all this different stuff was going wrong with it. And at some point, you have that debate with yourself. You're like, okay, do I just ditch the car at this point because it's going to cost me X number of thousands of dollars to fix the car up? Or do I keep the car and just sort of pour more and more and more money into it? So this thing was just going to total crap. Now, this didn't happen, but imagine I'm driving this Ford Taurus down the road and you see like oil, like spraying out of the front of it and like smoke is going everywhere. Like this thing is really on its last leg. And later, you see me in my driveway. And you're like, hey, what are you doing? Like, Yeah, my, my Taurus is, is going downhill. And so I decided in order to fix it, I would just wax my car and vacuum out the inside. You're like looking at me like, Are you crazy, man? You know that by cleaning up the outside, the visible part of your Ford Taurus, there's still going to be smoke billowing out of the front of this thing and oil spraying everywhere. Like, that's not the problem. It'd be like the most foolish thing I could do. And yet, this is the default mode of the human heart when it comes to our relationship with God. We clean up the outside. We think that we can somehow cover up who we really are simply by following a few rules, making a few outward changes, following these seven steps, doing these things, coming to church following this tradition, that tradition, having a quiet time, making sure we pray this much and that much. And it's just foolish. Because Jesus is as present with us here as he was with them, and he can see what we're truly doing. Do you know that even Karl Marx agrees with Jesus at this point. There's this really famous quote from Karl Marx. I didn't know the whole thing, so I kind of went back and looked it up. You know part of this quote, but Karl Marx, kind of the leader of communism, said this. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. See what he's saying? he's actually saying something very similar to what Jesus is saying. When you're heartless, when you're soulless, the way that you try to cover that up is through religious observance. It's by doing the right thing on the outside. Isn't that interesting? And so Marx's solution was throw it all out. Forget everything. Be anti god but did you know that God is not pro-religion? That's the mistake that he made. What we see in this text as we continue to dive into it, you've got to stick with me for a little while, is that Christianity is not a religion in that sense. It's not about cleaning up the outside. See, religion says, do your duty, follow the rituals, look good. Christianity is about the heart. It's about what's going on on the inside of you. Which gets us to our next question. Why is there religion? What are we trying to cover up? What are we trying to hide? And Jesus, as clear as day, says it's the depth of depravity. Let's pick up the story in verse 14. He called the people to him again. And said to them, "Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him." And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, "Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled." Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. See, Jesus begins to explain to his disciples heart of the matter so he tells them this parable and the parable is pretty plain isn't it he's talking about not only the religious traditions of the pharisees but he's also talking about the whole old testament he's talking about the ceremonial law so if you read through the old testament there's all these ceremonial laws i'm just going to make it super simple for you here's the ceremonial law don't eat bacon don't eat bacon all right so take this, this example. Don't eat bacon. And he says, okay, so there's the Jews over here, and the Jews don't eat bacon. And the Gentiles, they have eggs, toast, and bacon. The Jews are just eating eggs and toast. All right? Here's what he says. You eat eggs, to- eggs and toast, or you eat eggs, toast, and bacon, all of that stuff ends up in the toilet. It, it never enters your heart. It never could defile you. He's saying it goes into your stomach and it's expelled from your body. You know what Jesus is talking about there. He's making a poop joke. (laughs) And so the disciples are like, oh yeah, we don't get it. We don't really understand. And later, there's this sort of inserted parenthesis here. They understand that Jesus is declaring all foods clean. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, The purpose of the ceremonial law was never meant to clean up your life. The reason we don't follow all these Jewish customs and all these things is those Jewish customs and all those things, including not even bacon, which, thank God, I mean, if you eat anything bacon-wrapped, just thank Jesus for the new covenant. (laughs) Say, you are wonderful. Thank you for declaring all foods clean and dying on the cross for my sins. And then partake right? But, but he, he makes all foods clean, which, which means what he's saying is the purpose of the ceremonial law was to point forward toward a greater cleansing. It's an outward illustration of an inward change that would happen when Jesus Christ would walk on the earth. Because we didn't need to eat certain foods and take certain baths and do all these rituals in order to clean up our lives, we need a cleansing that's much deeper. And the reason that Jesus gives is that we have a problem with our hearts. We are depraved in the most profound way possible. What I don't mean by that is that we're as bad as we possibly could be. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God, which means that even the worst person on the earth cannot help but in ways in their life reflect their maker. I'm not saying we're as bad as we possibly could be. I'm just saying that everything that we do is tainted by sin. Now, our society has a huge problem with sin. So I think it's kind of important that I define for you what I mean by sin. Now, Jesus lists a lot of examples of what sin is. But I think in order to understand what sin is, we have to understand that it's the breaking of the commandments of God. So we see the first instance of this in the Garden of Eden when God says, don't eat the fruit, and then Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And so the law tells us when we have crossed the line into sin. Sin is the breaking of God's law, which in turn breaks God's heart. And so the question we need to ask is, what does God's law require? What does God's law require? What are his commands? How could we summarize what he's commanded us to do? Now, our kids and our kids' ministry are going through something called the New City Catechism. And a catechism is a way of teaching anyone, kids especially, what the Bible says in big general categories. And so question seven of the New City Catechism asks this question, what does God's law require? And here's the answer. I think it's a beautiful description of what the Bible says. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. And what God commands should always be done. Now think about those words. Personal, perfect, and perpetual. That means everything that we do should be done in relationship to God. It should be done with a heart of gratitude and awe that we have been created to reflect God's image it should be perfect, I meaning we should never stop obeying him because we know that his commands are good and that everything he says to us is for our benefit and it should be perpetual, meaning Man, we just keep on going because we love God so much. And Jesus, in another place, summarized this, which is also summarized here. It says we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind. And strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, I've never met somebody in my life who is so deluded that they actually think that they've done that. I've never yet met a person who has said, I am perfect. I have all of my stuff together. I have never done what God forbids, and I have always done what God commands. And so then Jesus lists a bunch of things. He lists sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, I mean, a bunch of things that if we begin to examine our hearts, we find that we're guilty of. But here's where I think the rubber meets the road for us in whether we have truly admitted what Jesus is saying here about us. It's when trials and temptations come into your life. So I don't know about you, but this is what happens to me. A trial comes into my life. Somebody that I love gets cancer or they die. Something horrible happens. It just hits me upside the head out of the blue. Or I begin to be tempted in some specific area and begin to give myself in to that temptation. And then something nasty comes out of my heart. And this is what... I generally will say, that's not really me. We give ourselves a free pass. We say, I mean, generally, like I'm a law-keeping person, like I'm a good person. And what's been revealed through these trials and temptations, that's not really me. That's just, you know. That's just that. That's just that was a mistake. That was an accident. I'm sorry, you know, we say stuff like this, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I wasn't angry, I was just frustrated. And we begin to sort of excuse ourselves for the things that we do. Let me tell you something else, just personal about my life. This is getting deep. Because I love ketchup, okay? I just love ketchup. My, my family can testify to this. This is kind of weird, but... From the age of about six until I was about 22, I'm 33 now, I think I basically only ordered hamburgers and french fries when I went to restaurants. Like, the decision was, I didn't even open the menu, I just left it laying there, hamburger and french fries, and if they didn't have it, then I'd just drink a water, you know? It's like, if you don't have that, you call yourself a restaurant, I'd get a Coke, and but here's here was the secret. I got a hamburger and french fries because it gives you the ability to just basically drink ketchup without anyone thinking that you're weird. Right? You can just, so, I mean, I, and you would be disgusted by the amount of ketchup that I have eaten in my life. And this trait has been passed on to my kids, and so there's almost like this ritual, you know, like the ketchup is on the table and there's like a celebration. And I mean, we all laugh at the sound that the ketchup bottle makes when you squeeze it. I mean, you got to participate in that when you have five kids and, and laugh about it. But my kids, you know, they don't have the sensibility to know that you can't just eat ketchup. And so they like literally will just like grab handfuls of ketchup and eat them. Right? It's, just, it's absolutely wonderfully disgusting. But, but here's the thing. In all of the times that I've eaten ketchup, I have not once turned a ketchup bottle upside down and squeezed it. Or do you guys know like the Heinz 57 trick, the glass bottle, it's got a 57 on it and if you pound the 57, the ketchup comes right out. My Uncle Bill taught me that, I'm forever indebted to him. But I have never in my life turned a ketchup bottle upside down and said to myself, why is there ketchup coming out of the ketchup bottle? I don't understand this. This is a ketchup bottle. There's ketchup coming out. What in the world? Where did this ketchup come from? This is unbelievable. There's ketchup coming out of a ketchup bottle. You guys understand what Jesus is saying here? You have a wicked, depraved, deeply awful sick, twisted heart. When sin comes out in any of these forms, we should not be surprised. We should say, that's what comes out of a human heart. That's what's in there. As Christians, we should know ourselves well enough and know Jesus' word well enough to know that just as ketchup comes out of a ketchup bottle, sin comes out of our hearts. That is what is in there. And so here's the way that our society has totally dodged this. There's no such thing as sin. That's what our society generally says. There's no such category as sin. Sin has been done away with. And so, we live in the age of authenticity, where you're supposed to just say, this is who I am, and show it to the whole world. And no matter what God's law says about said thing, you are supposed to fully embrace it. Just say, this is who I am. And really, that whole attitude, if you look at it even historically, it's a reaction against religion. It's like, I saw my parents trying to clean themselves up. I saw that that didn't work. So let's just try, instead of trying to clean ourselves up, just acting like we're already clean. Which, if you examine that, guys, and you go down to the root of it, both religion and this attitude that I don't have any sin have the same root. They're actually two different forms of religion. They are both seeking to clean the self up. They're both ways of saying, what in the world? There's ketchup coming out of the ketchup bottle? They're both religions. But at the end of the day, both secular people and religious people, as they lay in bed with their heads on their pillows, and all of us have had this experience, whether anyone else saw what you did, or not, you know that you're guilty. Guilty before whom? Even if you did something that wasn't against any other person, you feel this sense of guilt. Do you know why you feel the sense of guilt? Because you are guilty before the creator of all the earth. So the question then becomes, what do we do? What's the solution Where do we go with our guilt? And that's where we get to the last point, which really isn't a point at all. It's like gazing into the Alps. It's looking at the beauty that shines forth from every page of Scripture. It's the story of the Bible in one short story. We're talking about the wonder of grace and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the little children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. We've got another weird story with Jesus. Okay, we've run into a lot of these in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is hiding. Right? It says he goes to the certain place. And we know he's been doing a lot of ministry and he's been around a lot of people. And it says, he goes into this house and his intention is to hide. And this one woman, generally speaking, Jesus has been around crowds. This one woman sees him enter the door to this house from afar and she sees her opportunity. And she comes running. And she falls down at Jesus' feet and she's begging him, please heal my daughter. Her her daughter's had this demon possession. She has no doubt that her and her daughter have this heart condition that we've been talking about, that they're full of sin. That's not what's important to her So much sin has been consuming their lives. They've been dealing with it for days and days and days, maybe years. And she is absolutely desperate. Now, there's also racial and religious undertones in this text that we don't initially see. She's a Syrophoenician woman. First of all, Jewish male rabbis never had interactions with women one-on-one. They were considered second-class citizens, so you have that. Jesus is also of the correct race. She is a Syrophoenician woman, which means her parents were likely from Syria and Phoenicia, respectively. She's a mixed breed. She is a cultural, religious, and racial outsider, and Jesus is who everyone else wanted to be. And this woman falls down at his feet. And Jesus says something that when we read it, we are totally offended by. Right? Did you see what he said? Let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Here's what Jesus is saying. She's asking for healing for her daughter. And Jesus has said it over and over again, that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came first for Israel as a strategy to reaching the whole world. So he's saying, here's my strategy. I'm actually going to heal the Jews first. So he seems to be saying, I don't really have time for you right now because you and your daughter, in in comparison to the the Israelites, you're dogs. And in the same way in our culture, and maybe even more so in that culture, that's just plain offensive. It's never been cool to call a woman a dog, to call her daughter a dog. But I want you to see is that Although we might be offended for this woman, she is not offended at all. And that's because she understands the secret to the kingdom of God. And that's what we see in her response. She answers him, yes, Lord. In other words, you remember what the whole theme of the gospel of Mark is, what Jesus came to say to everybody? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, he's saying, I'm the king and because I'm the king, you should forsake your sin, those things that come out of your heart and you should come after me and follow me and believe everything that I say that I am. So she first acknowledges, you're the king of the universe. I get that part, I believe that part. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. See, she doesn't get offended that Jesus calls her a dog. She readily admits that that's what she is. Yep, I'm a dog. At the deepest level of her heart, she knew that her and her daughter were not clean. You see, they didn't have any religion. They never participated in any of the ritual cleansings. They hadn't trusted in their own righteousness, they knew at the bottom that they were sinful. And when you know at the bottom that you're sinful, you're not offended by anything that Jesus says. He can call you a dog. In the book of Hosea, he calls you a whore. In Psalm 23, he calls you a sheep. And you read all of those passages and you don't care Because you just want what he has. You just fall on your face. You say, You can call me a dog. You can call me whatever you want. I know that whatever you call me, I'm worse than that. I'm far worse than that. And Jesus says, That's the right response. And he gives her the healing that she's looking for. You know, in my neighborhood, as what I found in, in Minnesota is people here love dogs. You guys notice this? In my neighborhood, you know, I kind of just, I like to people watch, and I've noticed in my neighborhood that um, kind of the main theme is that families have one kid and two dogs. Right? So you have like women who are walking around and they've got like two dogs in one hand on a leash and they're pushing a stroller with the other hand. And you just absolutely love dogs. And so, you know, I don't have anything against dogs, but I think that's a little bit weird. And, you know, there's some people who have five dogs and one kid. And everyone in my neighborhood thinks we're weird because we got no dog and five kids. <laughs> All right, so let's just not, let's not get into that. Let's not judge each other. But, um, but there's just these people that just love dogs. And what we see in this passage is something, it's amazing, it's also kind of funny. It's this. Jesus is that crazy guy with like a couple million dogs, right? What we have to see in this passage is that Jesus didn't come to set up a religion, he, come to, he came to set up a humane society. The only people That our welcome into the kingdom of God is people that will admit they don't even deserve to be called people. That the sin is so deep and so terrible and so awful. Just a bunch of dogs. No need to be offended by that. You know what? I was thinking about this. To me, it actually feels like a compliment because dogs don't sin. Some ways I'd rather be a dog than a human because dogs didn't screw this whole thing up, and I've done my share of screwing this whole thing up. So here's the good news this story points us toward a greater story. Jesus wouldn't always stay in hiding, He didn't just come to heal this one woman who would admit that she was sinful and receive this grace from him. All of these stories are leading us to a greater story. When Jesus would come out of hiding and he would hang on a cross, completely naked and completely exposed for everything, for everyone to see. He was the ultimate dog, the ultimate laughingstock, the lowest of the low. If you would have seen him, you would have looked away. You would have thrown up. It would have been absolutely disgusting and gut-wrenching to you. And the reason that Jesus did that is he said, my life for yours. It's not that you're worthy of my forgiveness. It's not that you're worthy of me taking on your sin. It's that I love you so much that it's not about your worthiness, it is about my love. Let me show you this in one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It simply says this God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that awesome? Sinners are welcome. Come into the humane society. You know what I did this week? This was funny. I, I really encourage you guys to do this as, as an application because I thought it was really fun. I played the song Who Let the Dogs Out in My Car. You guys remember that song? Who Let the Dogs Out? Ooh, 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 ooh. Remember that? That's so great. Because I was singing it as worship, right? Jesus let the dogs out. He set me free. It's the application, okay? I want to see you guys just rolling around town, just who let the dogs out? Can we respond with that? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's, I declare that the theme song of Salt City Church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've let the dogs out. Thank you that you set us free. Thank you that all we've got to do is just fall at your feet and admit what's actually true. That all this sin's been coming out of our lives and it will continue to at times because we are crooked in the deepest places of our heart. And yet that's part of the best news in the entire world that you love sinners. Amazing. I'll never get over that. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. It's it's an absolute miracle that you could love somebody like me. And I pray for that person who's just feeling like they can't forgive themselves. I just ask that you would release them from that. They couldn't possibly forgive themselves because they're not as loving as you, Jesus, but would you just touch them with your presence now? Would they be able to readily admit everything that they've done, and who they are at the deepest level, not be offended by you and receive your grace?